society tells us that we need a title to be a leader. Leadership is something that you develop. I cannot do this anymore, but I don't know what I can do other than being a teacher. Greetings, Storytimers, Season 2, Episode 20. Today we're talking with Lorraine. Lorraine Connell is the founder of Peers Not Fears, an organization working to build leadership in our youth through peer mentoring. Lorraine is a leadership coach, DEI awareness builder, and former chemistry teacher. This episode is for you if you've wanted to pivot into a new career but think it's just not possible, or if you believe you're just not leadership material. We're going to be putting leadership under the microscope. Before we get into today's episode, there's something that you can do to help. When you finish listening, hit that subscribe or follow button. Okay, let's do this. Hey, Lorraine, thrilled to have you on the show. Uh, Hi, how are you? I am doing well, thank you. How has 2023 been for you so far? Uh, it's been interesting. I have set my intention for the year to be um, to follow the word challenge. And so I'm really trying to focus on just allowing myself to say yes to the things that challenge me and push me outside of my comfort zone, which can be a little bit um, exhausting, I would say at the time. But um But really, when you reflect back on challenging yourself, I think it's really, really fulfilling. I've heard a lot of people with a word of the year. So yours is challenge. Interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Today, we're going to be looking into your story. And your story touches on some career pivots and also a redefined view of leadership. We're going to be challenging the notion that leaders are born and not made. You believe that leadership is a skill and that our young people shouldn't leave the education system empty-handed. I really want to delve into your story from where it begins. Let's take it back to the 90s, Lorraine. Can you believe that was 30 years ago? What was your big dream and where did it lead you? Yeah, so I was graduating high school in the 90s. And I right around that time, it was a lot of talk of reduce, reuse, recycle. And I really felt like when I graduated high school, and I was getting out into the world and deciding what I wanted to do, I wanted to, as cliche as it sounds, I wanted to save the world. I saw something in what was called environmental science and it was a new it was a new industry I think really burgeoning in the 90s and that is what I decided to to pursue for a college degree. What did you do when you left with that qualification? What was really interesting during that time I had a really amazing experience. And I had a class, a general class of chemistry. I shifted a little bit at that point to get a minor in chemistry. When I graduated college, I had a major in environmental science, a BS in environmental science, and a minor in chemistry. 
And I started looking for jobs and the jobs that I wanted were saturated. I was looking for a job that I felt would really satisfy my desire to fix or save. And so I didn't actually really know what that was, but I thought, you know, going into policy with the Department of Environmental Services or I think it's U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. So those were the places where I thought, you know, I would have the best chance of doing what I wanted to do when I graduated. And like I said, those jobs were either really limited because they were paid through the government or they were saturated and there were no openings. Because I couldn't get those jobs, I still wanted to work in environmental science. What I ended up doing was site assessments or groundwater remediation assessments, but I was working for big business and I was working for sort of what I felt like was the opposite side of saving the world. I was helping people who had impacted the world make the changes, but only to a point that they had to, because remember, it costs them money to make these changes. So they weren't going to invest more than they had to. And so over time, it just sort of started to not feel fulfilling. And it ate away of my, from my desire to do what I had really wanted to do. Understandably. So you didn't remain in that industry for too long? No, I would say I was probably in that industry for maybe about five years. Um, and I don't want to say that, that those were bad years because I think I mentioned to you, I met my husband during that time. And but again, not fulfilling my life of purpose. Exactly that. And I feel like there's a bit of a lesson there and you hinted on it. It's almost like some of the pit stops, if we could call it that, that we make in our lives can often give us gifts that we weren't expecting. Obviously for you, that was meeting the the person that has gone on to be your your husband, your your partner in life. For other people, they may look back on a, a pit stop that at first glance seems pointless um, in terms of their career path, but has taught them a lesson. What's your take on that? You know, I actually wrote a TED talk about life of purpose and it it's sort of really paralleling to this conversation about, you know, when I graduated high school, I thought my path was made for me. I would go to college, I would get a job, I would meet a husband, I would get married, I would have kids. And, and really that path is not at all what ended up happening. And it's interesting to think about when we graduate high school, this perception of what life might be. So after leaving that industry that you said was a bit at odds with your environmental goals, what was your next career pivot? So I don't know how I came about this decision, but I remembered how much I loved that chemistry experience in college. And I also remembered I had a really similar experience with a chemistry teacher in high school. I knew I didn't want to stay in that 
industry, but I didn't know what I might do. And my mom was a teacher. I decided I wanted to be a teacher. And at this time, I think it was the early 2000s, late 90s, there was a real need for science and math teachers. Um, and I was in Massachusetts at the time. I applied to be a teacher at a school and they hired me. I remember walking in. I had no educational background in teaching. I just thought I knew enough in the topic. I walked into my first day of teaching. I performed really well. I loved it. It felt really good. But as soon as the students left my classroom, I burst into tears. I remember this so vividly. What am I doing? Total imposter syndrome, total like, uh, what is happening? And then, you know, if you know anything about school, that period of time in between students and teaching is pretty short. So I had a whole new group of students come in and I performed again. Like my, it was like, you know, I was turning the channel on my body, you know, I was on. And then when I was off, I was in an emotional breakdown, but I think those signs told me that I, I really wanted to know what it meant to be a good teacher and so I went back to get my, um, my master's in education. For 20 years after that, I was a teacher. I was a chemistry teacher. And I absolutely loved the experience of being a chemistry teacher. What did you love about it? I loved connecting with kids. And it's funny, I know a lot of people frown on it when we say, you know, they're not kids, they're students. And, and I, I just always felt at odds with calling them students because I just felt like they were my kids. They were, I was helping them grow and they were helping me grow. And the relationships that I formed with the students in that span of time of teaching, I still have. Thank goodness for social media. I still am connected with so many of the kids that walked through and experienced my classroom. I loved watching them find out something. You know, it's like in chemistry, that light bulb comes on so bright. It's hard to miss as a teacher. And so many teachers will tell you that light bulb experience is something that will stay with you forever. And in chemistry, it's at this really pivotal moment for kids where up until chemistry, they've kind of been able to do school without really having to put a ton of energy and ton of effort in. But when they get to chemistry, all bets are off. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a really new material. It's learning things really differently. And I was able to be a part of so many of these students transitioning from, oh, I don't know if I know how to study. I, I don't know if I know actually how to really learn. And gosh, that for me was, was so amazing. It's almost as if, your dream and your desire back in the 90s to save the world or save the earth it's almost as if through this career pivot into teaching you found a new way to 
save the world by almost inspiring, as you said, the next generation of innovators and leaders and change makers, because some of these individuals with this newfound knowledge and this love of science may well go on to to make changes for the better. Probably five years ago that the connection to that feeling of wanting to save the world or save the earth was coming out through my teaching. And as I reflect back, there were a handful of specific students who reached out to me and said, I'm doing chemistry. And it really surprised me that, you know, that same passion that I had was being translated from me. And that was really kind of an an amazing feeling. It's like a ripple effect, isn't it? You're almost passing the baton on to the next generation. The thing is, is you may not know who is going to take the baton. You know, when you're sat in the classroom of 30 students, there might be that one person, as you said, who perhaps you didn't see that light bulb come on, but it has come on and they've taken the baton and done something because of the inspiration that you delivered in that classroom. Yeah, and it was more than the baton of chemistry. You know, there was probably, I would say, at the most 5% of the kids who left my chemistry class that I know of went on to chemistry. But I will tell you that 85% of those students who left my classroom left with a sense of knowing they could do hard things. And that is something, I mean, I put a number on it, but I actually really can't measure that because... It's later in life where students realize or the kids that I had in my class maybe connect the dots or don't connect the dots. But I know many of them face that feeling of I I can't do this in my classroom and I help them see that they could. Exactly, exactly, Lorraine, because it goes back to your word of this year, challenge. And as you said, because chemistry is one of those I want to say abstract. It doesn't. It's not common sense uh, from what, from my memory of it. It certainly wasn't common sense to me. And having to have a teacher that shows you, yes, I can help you to understand this. I can help you to make sense of this. It does, in a sense, teach that message of we can do hard things. I don't know that I realized what I was learning through working with those kids in terms of identifying myself that I could do hard things. Isn't it funny how sometimes our students or our listeners or the people, our customers, clients can teach us lessons that we we think we're teaching them, but actually they're teaching us uh, too. Absolutely. And that's probably one of the greatest gifts that I felt in teaching was I learned so much from each and every student that walked through my classroom. And I realized that really it almost smacked me in the face during COVID because, and I started asking, hey, what's going on? What's working? What's not working? And the input and the information that they were sharing with me was so valuable to me as a teacher. You know, they, They would tell me, I'm just so tired of having my camera on, 
or I would see my, my, I think then eight or nine year old and he, he didn't want to look at himself. And I know if you, if any of you of your listeners, I know we know what it's like to be on zoom. We are more focused on our own image. I wouldn't force them to put their cameras on because there were so many things that were impacting them. I think you've touched on something that I'd like to dig into a little bit. So I know that you spoke about your love of teaching, your love of chemistry, but I also know that there was, uh, I guess, if you look at the, the flip side of that coin in terms of your experience, I guess, when you stopped teaching the lesson and had to deal with the other aspects of teaching. So I'd like if you would share a little bit more about that. Yeah, so about halfway through my career, I felt like, you know, in any career, you want to move up. And I felt like as a teacher, there was no up. It was administration or teaching. And I was not interested in administration or at the time I didn't know if I was or not, but I didn't have a title of leader. And for me, that was, that was a moment where I started to fall out of love of teaching, not the teaching itself, but the profession of teaching. I felt like there wasn't a place for me to move up because in society, the only way that we define moving up is giving a new title. And I didn't want a new title, but I wanted to feel like I was moving up, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, I think that you hit some, you hit on something there, should I say, you know, this definition of leaders is that we can only be a leader when we have a title, when we're called director or vice president, or I get the sense that there's another way of looking at that, that regardless of your title, there are certain skills that a leader possesses that are there regardless of the title that you hold. Like I said, society tells us that we need a title to be a leader. But in education, I don't think we tell students, and I know we didn't tell teachers, that you don't need a title to be a leader. And I wish you know, 10 years into teaching, I wish I had had maybe a life coach to say, you don't have a title, but you are an incredible leader. Think of the number of kids that you are empowering, that you are inspiring, that you are moving through and giving them incredible skills something that I'm thinking of now and it's that phrase that we touched on at the beginning the phrase or that myth that perhaps a lot of us do carry that leaders are born and not made for anyone who believes that what would you say to them that myth is going to hold us back as a society because I believe that for 95 percent of my life it was only in the last five years that I started to really debunk that myth and realize to myself, leadership is something that you develop and anybody and everybody, because anybody, 
you know, everybody is making decisions about themselves. And that is one of the most critical steps of being a leader is being able to make a decision. So if you are a human, you are a leader because you have to make decisions about yourself. Thinking about what you were doing in the classroom and the fact that we said at the beginning that we don't want or you don't want students to leave the classroom without understanding leadership and having the skills to be able to go out there into society and be leaders. How did you try and implement that in the classroom and, and what was the impact? was part of a leadership program at the school. They were able to provide a credited class to students for leadership. The myth that leaders are born is really perpetuated in schools. The students who have that natural ability for leadership would be those students that are doing everything. And we kind of abuse those kids by allowing them to do all of the things. So in this program that I was part of, it was those students who were in the program and they did everything, but they also were developing leadership skills. I started to look in my chemistry classes because I was still teaching chemistry at the time. And I was thinking to myself, several kids in this class that I think should be a part of this leadership program. And I would approach them and they would say to me, they would literally say to me, I am not a leader. I don't belong in that class. And I started to question it. Why don't you think you're a leader? Why don't you think you belong in that program? I'm not perfect, were the answers. I'm not a perfect student. I make mistakes. Opened my eyes so wide that I, I couldn't close them anymore. I was like, I have to change this. I have to do something better. So what did you do? Well, as I had sort of alluded to in year 10, I was already starting to feel really dissatisfied with the profession. And in COVID, I had started to push the boundary of that leadership program. I started to encourage those I don't belong in that class kind of students to join and they made mistakes and administration wasn't ready for that kind of a leadership development program. They were used to the perfect kids, which don't exist, but the kids who didn't make mistakes as often. And they weren't comfortable with the mistakes and they weren't comfortable with the direction that I was pushing the program. There was an opportunity to kind of switch me out of running that program and someone in to run it the way it had always been. And that crushed my soul. And I remember thinking to myself, I cannot do this anymore, but I don't know what I can do other than being a teacher. I remember another myth that I was believing. The only thing that I am capable of doing 
because I've only, I've done it for over 20 years. The only thing I'm capable of doing is being a teacher. And I don't want to do this anymore. That must be very difficult to, to sit with. It was devastating. I guess that's looking at that topic of career pivoting again, because career pivoting is not easy particularly when, as you said, you've done something for two decades and you see it as the only thing that you can do. One of those things that comes out from that is transferable skills, skills that we pick up in a profession that are easily transferred to to other professions. So how can we really ease this challenge of career pivots? Like, what can we do to help people really see the possibilities outside of what they've been doing? I think it comes back to that title again, right? So I have the title of teacher and that felt finite to me. I I knew that I was able to do a lot of things as a teacher, but I didn't, I didn't see that I could also be a project manager. I didn't see that I could be a a developer of programs or curriculum or anything. I felt like there was a title for me and that was the only title that I had. And so I think what I would encourage anybody to do is to go back and remind them that there are a lot of myths out there that we are perpetuating. One of them being that leaders are born and that you are only one thing, right? Because it, it almost is embarrassing or shameful for me to say, I can't believe that I didn't define myself as something else because I am so many other things. I was so many other things than a teacher, but the only thing that I could see in that part of my identity was teacher. I hear that. I hear that. So, I mean, you really observed that there was things missing in the classroom you really wanted to broaden out the students that could learn leadership skills. How do we really define leadership? I know you started to do that, but if you had to put it into a sentence, I know that's a a tricky thing to do, but how can we redefine it in a new way? I think leaders are people who see others and want to include them in things. They see strength and weaknesses in everyone and try to find ways to enhance everybody's skills together. I think leaders are parents. I think leaders are, well, like I said, I think everybody is a leader and it's just how far have you developed that skill? It is a complex thing to define. So uh, I really appreciate you articulating your thoughts um, on leadership. So we've talked about career pivots. We've talked about leadership and the fact that you were pushed out of that program, essentially. What then led you to 
take the action that you felt was needed to really develop these leadership skills for young people? I wanted to be empowering students. I wanted to develop skills in young adults and young teens so that they could go out, they could go out and be their best selves. And I wanted to do this so well that the kids who went through my program were able to come back and be part of my program and facilitate my program in other places. And thus my my consulting, my coaching developed into the, the company that I now am the owner of called Peers Not Fears. Tell me why you chose that title for your company, Peers Not Fears. There's so much fear in education and we don't talk about it and we don't, you know, maybe we'll talk a little bit about bullying or anxiety I think about myself, there was a ton of fear of making a mistake. There was a ton of fear of trying something new and it not working. And that was just me that, you know, students are fearful of so many things nowadays. The way to debunk or break that fear down is to build peer relationships. So if we see each other as peers who are out there helping each other, who are leaders working to find strengths and weaknesses in others, then we can work together. And when we're working together, there's less fear. So we are peers. We are not creating fears. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for explaining that. And I guess your your vision to develop this group of young people that have the skills around empowerment and belief that they that they can do hard things i think something that you just said there really resonated around being the best that they can be because that tells me that there's not a one size here because the best that i can be is not the same as the best that you can be or somebody else when i have a weakness I'm going to try and find somebody who has a strength in that area so that when we are collaborating, when we are building together, that weakness that I have becomes a strength that we have together. Now, Lorraine, thank you so much for sharing your your story. Is there any other final message that you would like to, to leave our listeners with? You can do hard things. It's an amazing message. Um, <laughs> that I can definitely relate to. So how can listeners stay connected? LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok at Peers Not Fears. And yeah, if you just search Peers Not Fears, you can see the stuff that I have available out there. So I'm excited for this new generation of kids to have the leadership skills that we didn't develop until we had to. Absolutely. Thank you, Lorraine, for coming on Stories That Connect Us. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. Listening to Lorraine's story has got me thinking 
As we enter 2023, many of you will be thinking about your plans for the year, which may include a career change. Lorraine pivoted from environmental science to a 20-year chemistry teaching career to a business owner determined to build leadership skills in our youth. So as Lorraine said, there's more than one thing that we can be or do in life. As leadership is a skill, it means we can develop it. Thanks for tuning in today. Please share this episode with just one person. If everyone listening does this, then those wholesome and inspiring stories can reach more people. See you in two weeks and I'll be back with my next guest.